Co-Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen. Once again, everybody, thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier, and that gentleman in the other screen is Craig Haskins. He is, you've got the distinguished feature of, I believe you're our first non-team member that has returned as a guest twice. So congratulations, you're back on. Amazing. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I'm famous. You are fam- you're famous on this podcast anyway. So um, Craig runs the Nightberry Title Company. Craig and I are going to talk today about foreclosures, which I think, I don't know, people find it interesting. And... I think we're just going to educate them a little bit on what a foreclosure is. And we could go a few different routes. The route I'm not going to take is just buying a foreclosure from the bank because, you know, once a bank owns a home, they typically get listed with a broker and it gets exposed to the market. And now it's it's listed as a, it's called Rio, or at least it usually is, real estate owned, a Rio home that is owned by a big bank somewhere. It could be a small bank. But at that point, if you want to buy that house, that's fine. You buy it on the market, the same as any other house. The only difference in my experience has been you're going to sign an addendum to your standard Wisconsin offer to purchase, and it's going to be anywhere between 10 and 70 pages long. And it's basically going to say a million different ways that you as the buyer waive all rights to go back to the seller for anything ever because the seller is now a bank. And if you're going to buy this bank-owned property, you can do inspections at that point and walk away. My experience has been you can do an inspection if they accept your offer that's contingent on an inspection. If you decide this isn't the house for me, they, my experience has been they'll let you walk and they'll just relist it. Maybe for the same price, maybe they'll drop the price. But what I want to educate our listeners about is how you actually buy a foreclosure. For the listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, a foreclosure is a lawsuit from a bank against the property owner. That's correct. So typically when, when you historically in Wisconsin, you miss three or four mortgage payments. Obviously you miss the first one. You're in default or you're late, you're in default, but lenders are historically, I'm not speaking for all of them. You know, you run a three or four uh, missed mortgage payments, you fall into a foreclosure scenario. So the first thing a lender is going to do is file the lawsuit or start the lawsuit. And there's, uh, you know, obviously serving the parties and whatnot, but they'll record a document in the land records against your home called a list pendants, L-I-S-P-E-N-D-E-N. First technical term of the day, list pendants. There you go. And it's Latin, I believe, for pending litigation. It's basically a notice to anyone dealing with that home that there is a lawsuit pending on this property. And if you want to know more about it, it has a case number. You leave the land records, you go down the hallway and... And the county you live in, you drive down the street to the clerk of courts and you read the case and it'll say such and such lender hasn't been paid and this is what's outstanding and now the property's in foreclosure. So that's that's the first typical uh, step that we see. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're snooping around your land records online in the county or you're, you happen to be... Uh, you have to be good at figuring out some title searching uh, and you see a list pendants warning, someone is suing someone on that property and whatever you do is subject to whatever happens in that litigation. So if that litigation started in January and you buy it in August, that litigation ends up and finishes up after you buy it, whatever the outcome is, wipes you out or potentially could. So 
when you see list pendants, you really need to consult someone that knows what they're doing, a good lawyer. Um, you can certainly ask a title company, hey, what does this mean? We can give you some uh, information as to what's happening on that file. Uh, but that puts the property into foreclosure. And then there's um, a pretty technical timeline within the, within a couple few months of them putting that notice in the public records, you're going to get served or the homeowner's going to get served. You know, you've been served. Here's the notice. Uh, there's going to be hearings. Uh, the judge will um, typically uh, give an order against you, the homeowner, in favor of the lender, uh, judgment of foreclosure, uh, which means you've been foreclosed. You're still, uh, you still live in Wisconsin, which is one of the most consumer-friendly states mm -hmm. in the country. So you don't just get thrown out right away. There's a right. period of uh, a time where after you've been foreclosed, the judgment of foreclosure, you can redeem yourselves. You can you know, lift yourself back up by your bootstraps find some money, win the lottery, refinance, do whatever you want to get uh, to stop that action. Otherwise, you end up on the courthouse steps uh, in a bidding war. Uh, as a homeowner, if I miss my mortgage payment, at a very minimum, I got 10 months. I, I mean, just because Wisconsin's so consumer-friendly. and some non-consumer-friendly states, the second you default, the second they get their information or their judgment, you're out. Some states are non-judicial. All you have to do is publish that you're behind. If you don't make good on it, they take you out of the house. So there's a real small window in some states, Wisconsin, consumer friendly, that if it's an owner occupied, if it's, you know, the husband or wife or whatever lives in the house and um, uh, the redemptive rights are long, it could take, you know, two to three months to get to the judgment portion of it, maybe three to four months to get to the judgment. And then you typically have six months after you've been, you've lost this judgment until the bank can throw you out or actually before the bank can go to the sheriff sale and then you have the sheriff sale and then you have a few weeks later, the confirmation hearing. So this could take minimum 10 months. What we saw during the foreclosure crisis, if you can get it done in 10 months, that's a pretty good thing. But um, now if it's an investment property, the game, the game's a lot different. It's, or if you've abandoned the property. So if you've, uh, if you've been foreclosed and you think you've got six months, but you've left the property, the court can shrink that date and the lender can take it back and sell it uh, to get rid of that asset. So that's sort of how it works. People that are usually in foreclosure based on our experience from reading thousands and thousands of foreclosure cases and dealing with these at our title company or people who are like a divorce, um, there's a death in the family and the breadwinner has passed away and there's not enough money to pay the mortgage. People lost their jobs. Interest rate increases, which we're seeing now, uh, might harm their ability, like if they have an arm loan and it keeps adjusting and they can't uh, afford it anymore. Uh, medical bills, unexpected home repair, auto repair, those types of things are reasons that people get uh, fall into that. One, I would point out that it's been my experience is that once you see a home show up on the foreclosure list, which is public information, don't ever pay for a list of foreclosures. You know, find your local county website and they're typically there. Is that my experience has been that over 50% of them that show up eventually get canceled, meaning that 50% of the people that are in foreclosure will find their way out of it eventually. And it might be because, like you said, of medical bills and somebody might not have known they were in foreclosure for whatever reason, but just because it shows up on the foreclosure docket um, doesn't mean it's actually going to auction. Let's talk about that for a second, Tom, because back in 2007 through 2012 or so during that foreclosure crisis, there wasn't a heck of a lot of demand for real estate. Right. Uh, a lot of people were upside down. Uh, valuations were a lot lower than people had borrowed. So there wasn't a lot of equity. The people getting foreclosed didn't have a lot of skin in the game. So if they're walking from zero equity or negative equity, it's easy right. to walk from that. Today, that's different. There's huge demand for real estate. 
loans are easier. I mean, more, more people have equity. So when you, people are leaving their home voluntarily now, they're giving up a ton of money usually. So we don't typically see people walk and that many files come onto the market. Just like you said, just they missed a few payments. They're in foreclosure. Most of them are going to find a way to get out of it because of the hot market. A lot different now than it was 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah, that's the point. If, if it's in foreclosure now, you got to wonder, like, why is it in foreclosure? So a uh, real recent example in our county, there was one that came up for auction. I saw that the foreclosure amount was around $300,000. I knew as a realtor pretty quickly that this place was never going to be worth $300,000. I didn't know it was in the inside, but it was in a neighborhood of $200,000 houses. So that was a situation where, you know, you go to the auction and buy it for the foreclosure amount, but know what you're doing because you can at you can buy a really bad investment at a at a foreclosure and end up with a property that you paid too much for in this market very easily like you said most of the people if there's equity they're not going to walk away so if they are walking away these days you have to wonder like why they're walking away from it yeah and let's 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 talk uh, you, you mentioned being on the courthouse steps or in the sheriff's office so the people that are typically going to be there other than the sheriff who reads the description and says we're here to bid on such and such property typically the people who are there are uh, obviously the foreclosing lender the foreclosing the, the sheriff's first thing going to say is is the lender here yeah typically you know bank of america is not going to fly someone from new york to sit in ozaki right. county and bid they typically hire a title company or a local lawyer to go do the bidding, do their bidding. Um, so they would tell us a week or so in advance, hey, we need you to go to Ozaki County and bid $101,000 on this as the opening bid. You can go up to $120,000 max in $1,000 increments. So right. the lender might be there making bids or title company or lawyer, whoever's representing the lender. Um, uh, other lien holders might be there as well. So the second mortgage company, the, you know, uh, the aunt who's a creditor might be there. Um, it, investors, nosy neighbors. We see a lot of neighbors like I've been mowing this lawn and painted the fence and doing this for the last year when they were foreclosed. And, you know, so neighbors will be there. So it's 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 kind of fun. I mean, uh, honestly, it's an emotional wreck for the person getting foreclosed, obviously. But as a disinterested third party who has a list of orders of what we need to do on behalf of the lender, it's kind of fun and it's exciting seeing everyone go back and forth. Um, you keep your poker face on and uh, yeah, I mean, it could be exciting. I definitely wouldn't recommend the first time you ever attend a sheriff sale is the one that you're going to bid on. Um, for instance, Milwaukee County, I believe they do them every Monday morning, but you can find them uh, recorded and published in the local uh, papers or online uh, and go down and watch a few of them just to kind of get the hang of it. So the, let's talk about the actual auction, uh, which from the time that, that representative of the bank makes the opening bid. I've seen an auction close in as little as two minutes, and I've seen I've seen them go for like a half an hour, depending on how many bids. But what I want the consumers and the listeners to know is what protections they have and how do they actually buy this. So I think people are very surprised to hear that if you want to go look at this three-bedroom ranch that's in foreclosure, when can I see it? And the answer, what's the answer? When can I see it if I want to buy this? When you own it. <laughs> exactly. The answer is never. Or you can drive by and look with. Yeah. yeah. You know, there is no. You can't go in no, it. No, there is no access to these properties that are in foreclosure. You literally have to buy it from the street. If you have walked the property, and I'm not, I would never tell you to trespass. It's, it's at your own risk, and there are some serious risks involved. I have poked around properties that are coming up 
for foreclosure. I've always inquired with the neighbors. I thought that's the safe thing to do because there was one in Washington County a few years ago. And I went to the neighbor who was out having a barbecue or playing basketball, whatever he was doing. And I said, hey, your guy across the street, that house is in foreclosure. I'd like to go look at it. And he said, dude, do not approach that house if you know what's good for you. He's like, safety wise. He's like, seriously, don't, don't knock on the door. Don't walk around. Not a good situation. And I was like, all right, good. Now I know I'm, I want nothing to do with this property. It could be dangerous. You had mentioned it's a pretty emotional, you know, situation for a homeowner. And uh, he had mentioned that homeowner was not taking kindly to people poking around his house. He was obviously still, you know, occupying the property. So super important to know that number one, you can't do any inspections. Number two, financing. Really interesting. When you buy, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're going to buy this house at foreclosure and you are the winning bid, on site, within 30 seconds after the auction has closed, you have to produce 10% cash or cashier's check. Ironically, I have seen people literally bring bags of cash into the sheriff's department. I suppose you don't want to carry around that much cash, but if you're in the sheriff's department, pretty good place to be, I guess. Um, or have uh, cashier's checks that are equal to or greater than 10% of the final purchase price. I'm, so far, so far, I'm I'm speaking correctly. Correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I I see investors typically bring a handful of ten thousand dollar cashier's right. checks with a handful right. of hundred dollar cashier's checks, so you can get that ten percent uh, easily. But you you can't say, "Great, I'm the bidder, sheriff. I'll be back. I'm going to go get some money." No, you better have it right there on the spot. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market. Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. That was really good advice to say, um, make sure you observe first, because I did observe a person who was clearly at their first auction, was a successful bidder, and then wanted to go get financing arrangements, and the deputy was um, knowledgeable enough to verify. That's what they'll do now is they'll verify that the successful bidder has the funds, then they'll announce, okay, buyer does have the funds because that person kind of looked, they were lost, and they said, well, I, I need about an hour, and they said, no, nah, it's not work, and they reopened the bid and said, again, you need to have your 10% cash or cashier's checks right here, and they reopened it for bids, and that buyer um, obviously didn't have any cash on them. They, they weren't able to successfully bid on that. All right, so once I get the successful bid, I'm the highest bid on a property, then what? When do I have to pay the, the balance? Usually there's a, there's a couple weeks between you being the winning bidder and handing the sheriff your 10% to when you have to close. You have to bring the rest of the money. There's a, right. And that's done at the end of what's called a confirmation hearing where the court will look at your bid and determine that that was fair and reasonable and then we'll bless it and say it's fine. And then you have to come up with the rest of the money. So usually you have a couple of weeks now during the heyday of the foreclosure crisis the last time around, um, you know, courts are real overworked so that the, that a couple of weeks could turn into a few weeks. But 
Um, you definitely want to find out when the confirmation hearing is because you need to, you, you've got to get your homework done. You've got to get your financing. You really need to be ready. You can't walk into your favorite lender on the day and say, hey, I need two weeks. I need $85,000 for this mortgage. You know, it's a different closing too. If you're going to get a mortgage loan on a property that you already put 10% down at the auction, you got to do it quickly. And it's a little tricky because you don't own the property yet. And the lender has to actually give the title company the money. We run it to the courthouse and hand it to the clerk in exchange for your deed. Anyways, it gets, it, it's technical. So you don't want to, you don't want to wait to the end to plan on something like this. Um, and guess what? If you, uh, you know, if you fail to close in time, you can forfeit your 10%. One other thing, Tom, I wanted to mention, uh, I should have mentioned it when you were talking about the bid, but how do you know what the opening bid is going to be? You could call the foreclosing law firm. Typically, I'm not going to say always, but in the paper or on the internet, on CCAP in Wisconsin, you can look to determine who the foreclosing lawyer is on behalf of the lender. Call them a week before the sheriff auction and say, hey, I'm in such and such. I'm interested in this property. Do you happen to know what the bid amount is going to be? So getting that opening bid is very helpful to keep you from wasting a lot of time at the courthouse or at the sheriff's auctions. So the opening bids are, are something that most of the law firms, the law firms want the, the lenders want to tell you the opening bid, in my opinion, they want you to go there. The last thing a lender wants is the property. So if they can tell you the opening bid and then get you to go bid against them, that's great. That's what their goal would be. Yep. And it's been my experience that those foreclosure amounts are now listed, you know, on, on the actual list pendants or the, the public foreclosure. The only thing you got to keep in mind is that there is penalties and interest accruing every single day. So usually if I see a house that is being foreclosed and it says foreclosure in the amount of 250000 My gut tells me that by the time it gets to the auction with penalties and interest, that opening bid's more like 260000 265000 depending on how long this this home has been in. Not necessarily, Tom. No? And, and you, while, you're, while you're right on many situations, yep. one on thing property, you should remember right? is because, right, because some lenders are going to say, look, I don't want anything to do with this property. Um, so I might, we might be, me, Craig's bank might be owed 250000 but no one's going to come bid for this. And I'm going to be stuck with this dog. So what I'm going to do is open the bid at one ninety. I'm going to take my loan. I'm going to lose money. I'd rather lose it on the front end than carry it for two years trying to have the thing sold and have to do the repairs and pay the taxes. and So often, I mean, just don't assume that whatever the judgment amount or whatever the outstanding debt was foreclosed, that that's going to be where the bid starts. Uh, lenders like to spur on outbidders to get them out of this mess. I've seen banks become wiser uh, over the years. So, uh, yeah, I have seen both. I've seen where the, the opening bid is more than the foreclosure amount. On the flip side, I've seen banks hire guys like me, brokers, to do what's called broker's price opinions, which is just a drive-by from the outside. They'll usually, sometimes they'll solicit more than one to get some feedback because, like you said, the, they're into this house for 250000 If every broker tells them that based from a street level they think it's worth two hundred. I've seen them try and cut their losses because, like you said, they don't want to take title of this property at all because once they take title, it's now their property and they have to own it and insure it. And so I've seen them make the opening bid say, if the brokers are telling them it's worth two hundred, yeah, they might make that opening bid one hundred ninety thousand and cut their losses because, like you said, that is one statement that's always true: is that there is no bank in the world that wants to own a home or even wants to foreclose. So if you can redeem your loan, and I've seen that happen too. So let's talk about that. I, I've, I've known that period to be called the redemption period, which is 
between the time, which you said was two weeks, which that's been, I've seen it go two, three, four. No, weeks. no, it's the redemption period. The redemption period is between when you, when, the, when the judge slams her gavel in favor of the lender and that right. gives you usually six months is usually the redemption okay. period. So but there's the, also a the period, period between, yeah, between the auction and the confirmation. What do you call yeah, that? Yeah, that's that's. I don't know if there's necessarily a term, but that's the two week okay. period between the auction and the confirmation. Okay, um, so it's you're still in the overall redemptive right yeah. period. Okay, so it's just an extension of. It's either the extension of the redemption period or it's the end of the redemption period. But yeah, in Wisconsin, homeowners still, even after your house got auctioned, on the courthouse steps, you still have the ability to make good with your bank. They still don't want to go to that confirmation hearing. So if you can come up with a balance, um, you can pay it off, and then it'll get to the judge at the confirmation hearing, and the judge will say, we have you know, been notified and given evidence by the plaintiff that they are, they are paid up, uh, they're good, and then at that point they will. I've seen them refund um, the 10% to the prospective right. bidder, and they just said, listen, this, this uh, homeowner um, paid up, and it's no longer, uh, no longer available. Yeah, those are tricky. I mean, I mean, look, you've been 10 months. First of all, you missed three or four mortgage payments. So that's four months. Right. And then you went through the foreclosure process, which is another 10, 11 months. So you've been 15 months and you waited till the two days to go until you're over with to bring the money and redeem yourself. So it happens. It, it doesn't seem very logical. Like what were they waiting on for the last 15 months? But right. um, some people don't get their, you know what, in gear until the very end. So it does happen. I agree with you on that. But keep the transaction moving forward, and we get to the confirmation hearing. The, the judge does confirm it. Judge has now confirmed that the sale, you know, of the, of the house for two hundred thousand dollars is valid. What happens then at the confirmation hearing? The couple of weeks after you win at auction, it's mechanically you just need to have your ducks in a row. Work with a work with someone that knows what they're doing on this. Um, unfortunately, not all title companies are created equally. Uh, some of them are very good in the foreclosure process. There's several, there's a bunch of reputable title companies in the area that can handle these, but you, you want them to make sure they know what they're doing because mechanically, if you miss one step, you could, you could lose the property you're trying to bid on. You could lose your down payment. So anyways, it can get kind of tricky towards the end. All right. So I show up at the, uh, I get the confirmation hearing. I show up with my 90%, um, which is due. I pay the clerk my remaining 90% funds and she hands me a sheriff's deed. Now what, what is a sheriff's deed and what do I do next? Yeah. So the deed would say the sheriff of Ozaki County on behalf of the foreclosing lenders anyways, and it conveys title to you. The title company will probably be there with you to grab the deed. Maybe if you have a mortgage, take the mortgage and the deed to the register of deeds office and register you officially as the owner. That also triggers what I think you're also going to ask me about is, does that wipe off all the old baggage on the property from the previous the owner? Question. Um, yeah. And and yes, that's that's when that happens. So if there's three mortgages and the first mortgage holder is foreclosing, mortgage number two and mortgage number three are out of luck. They're they're wiped out. They no longer have a claim on that property. That's correct. So. You know, when you get a second mortgage, typically your interest rates a little higher. You know, the it's a it's riskier to be in an inferior position. That first mortgage, that first and foremost lien position, is the king of them all. Anyone that's underneath or after them, you know, they'll get wiped out in a foreclosure action. So, 
if you got a $200,000 first mortgage and then you did a $50,000 kitchen remodel with a second mortgage and you stop paying your loans, that $50,000 mortgage is going to be wiped out in the sheriffs in the, in the action. Um, so you as a new buyer that just went through all the process Tom and I just described, we don't have to worry about that second $50,000 mortgage because it was wiped out in the foreclosure. So a foreclosure cleanses the property of a lot of different things that a lot of the monetary baggage the seller might have goofed up onto the title. The mortgage foreclosure can wipe if done properly and they're you know typically done properly. It'll wipe all that stuff out. So the buyer walks into a nice title, nice clean title. What does not get wiped out by a sheriff's deed? What, 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 what remains? You remember when, when you sign the first mortgage, there's nothing. Title is perfectly clean. A lender's not going to give you a first mortgage on a property with any junk out there. So just know on the assumption the day you bought the property or the day that goofball bought the property, it's perfect. Then after that, they got a second mortgage. Maybe they were sued. Um, maybe they have a child support lien. Maybe uh, they, they didn't pay a certain tax collector, whatever. All this junk is liens on, leaned up on the property now. Those things typically get wiped out in a foreclosure. Now, here are things that don't get wiped out, and they all have a common theme. Real estate taxes, so the previous owner's real estate taxes don't get wiped out. Water bills, uh, utility, stuff like that, water uh, sewer bills, um, special assessments, building code violations. So if you're, if you're following along at home, the people that don't get wiped out are the government. Yes. So it's the one that fun. sets the rules obviously sets it so that person in foreclosure, yes, all their stuff, their judgments, you know, judgments to their auto insurance company because they banged up their car uh, and the mortgages are all wiped out. But none of the government stuff, that all survives. So again, you need to make sure that when you're buying something, you're aware of the status. Uh, you're aware of the status of all of those non-wiped out things. Um, and then, of course, the good old IRS, uh, the, the federal government. The federal government, it gets wiped out. So their lien, so like a federal tax lien, gets wiped out. But what's replaced is a notice to the buyer that you on the courthouse step that this lien's wiped out, but the government, the United States has the right to redeem it and come take it from you for 120 days after that redemptive date. So I know that sounds confusing, but if you know the seller was in hot water with the IRS and the foreclosure went through brilliantly and you're really worried about this IRS coming, that is a threat. You have to look at, out your window every morning and look for that big black fan of the IRS mm -hmm. people or the United States of America coming. To now, I've never seen it. And, right. and know this, if it's a $180,000 property in Port Washington and there was no equity, the IRS isn't going to come redeem the property and take it from you. I've never seen it. They might, they could, but I've never seen it. If it's a $10 million former drug home and there's you know millions of dollars in potential equity, okay, maybe they're going to want to come do that. Hmm. So um, the IRS federal tax liens, they can come take the property for 120 days after you take it as the bidder. All other United States liens, like the Marshall Services and things like that, they have a year. But the title company will explain this to you during the, you know, during the process. But th these are things that if you've done your homework well in advance of the sheriff's sale, you should know everything on title and everything that's going to get wiped and everything that's not going to get wiped out. That's a very important thing to know. Yeah, because like you said, all these government 
liens um, are not, in my experience, they're not posted with the foreclosure. So the foreclosure lists the foreclosure amount, but they're not going to tell you um, how much is outstanding in water bills, outstanding in real estate taxes, outstanding in special assessments, that sort of stuff you have to do on your own. And it is public information. That's right. Uh, but you have to know where to find it. So super important that you don't go into this blind on your own. You have to use the assistance of an experienced broker, an experienced attorney, and or an experienced title company to tell you exactly what you're buying. I honestly had no idea. I knew that all the government liens survived and they're going to get their money. It seems baffling to me that I could buy a house that was owned by a former person who had a lot of IRS debt and that the IRS could now come take the house that I own and paid for and had nothing to do with the other dude or gal. Um, but they, in theory, you're saying in theory, and you don't have any examples of them actually doing it, but you're just saying in theory, the IRS can come get that house. The law is pretty clear that a federal tax lien uh, post foreclosure has 120 day redemptive right. So I think it's 120 days. Um, but yeah, I've not, they can do it. I've never seen it. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. I've just never seen it. Hmm. But I think back to your point of using experienced people, I just encourage you, if you're reading the paper or you got a goofy list of foreclosures, or someone told you the neighbor's getting foreclosed, I, I know everyone's pretty smart on the internet, but you can get into real financial hot water if you don't know what you're doing. I would encourage you to use a local title company and say, hey, 101 Main Street, what do you know? Now it might cost you a hundred bucks to save a hundred thousand, right. but the title company can produce just a real generic report for you to say, here's who owns it. Here's the taxes. Here are the mortgages and the judgments and the liens. And here's the, here's what's getting foreclosed. And here's what will get wiped out if it's a successful foreclosure. I can't tell you how many times I've been involved with people thinking they're getting a great deal for $38,000 opening bid only to find out it was the second mortgage foreclosure. Remember, uh -huh. you can wipe out uh -huh. anything that's below you. Right. So I bought 35,000, I got a $200,000 home. Day one, guess what I found out? I still have to pay the first mortgage because that's not who was foreclosing. Nice. So that's a horrible mistake. By the way, you will find that out when you go to get your money for the, uh, before the confirmation hearing. That's when you'll usually hire a title company. And we will tell you, no dummy, you bought the second mortgage. Yeah. And then what you're going to tell the clerk, I'm not coming back. I'll forfeit my 10%. Right. So you're forfeiting your 10%. Don't do that. Get the address to a local title company and say, let me buy a letter report or some type of report that you can tell me what's going to get wiped out. Right. Big, that's the number one thing you should do if you're going to be bidding at a sheriff's sale and you don't know what you're doing or it's new to you, even if you know what you're doing. Yeah, and it's not very often that I see um, a second or a third mortgage placeholder foreclosing, but I have seen it. Luckily, I, I've found them to be fairly forthright in the verbiage that they post, and it says right in there, this mortgage is foreclosing um, secondary to a primary lien holder. That's usually the telltale sign that, okay, there's a much bigger debt out there. Okay, so I'm still buying this house. I've still I'm holding this it. one up for you, Tom. This yeah. is an actual case. You won't be able to see it, but right. on the bottom it says, forfeited down payment. This is an yeah. actual case that I worked on back in the foreclosure crisis where the, the they bought the second mortgage and had to go to the court and say, judge, I didn't know it was a second. I watched an infomercial late at night, wanted to get rich. And, I, and the judge goes, too bad you lost your 10%. Next. Yeah. 
and that's yeah. it. Now, if you get in northern Wisconsin, maybe they're a little friendlier, but yeah. not the judges that we typically deal with. Most likely. All right, so I bought this house. I got my sheriff's deed. Where do I pick up the keys to my new house? You tell me. You don't. They don't exist. The, the bank. You're not going to get them from the bank. You, you now, my experience, and, and maybe other people can have different experiences, but every time we've bought a home at foreclosure, we now have the deed. We then go to a locksmith, and we break into our own home that we now own that we've never seen because we've never seen the inside. So it's been my experience. Well, that's the right. Available. Be, because up until that confirmation, the people are still living there. There's a right. good chance Come that on. the homeowners are still living there yeah. and they're not going to give you, you can't walk up and say, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Jones just bought your house at foreclosure. I need the keys and the garage door openers. And by the way, when are you moving out? That's not how it works. Right. So yeah. you're right. You're going to have to physically get into your own house and change all the locks. Well, you just you just brought up a scenario that I actually forgot about, um, and we did that one time where we bought a home that was occupied, and yeah, so I guess we should talk through that scenario where you buy a house and the people are still living there. Um, all of my experience, and I only have that one where, where they were there. We got along great, and I told them, you know, I'd work with them, and uh, I showed up once we had the sheriff's deed, and they were super um, appreciative of me, you know, keeping in the loop, and I think we let them stay for like 30 days, and they mowed the lawn. They took good care of it. So in that in- instance, we did not have any problems. We worked with the people, the occupants, and they, they voluntarily left. But if you do buy a house that is occupied um, and they don't want to leave and they're combative, what do you recommend I do to get these people out of the house that I own? Yeah, I mean, it's a timing issue, too. So remember, they haven't made a mortgage payment for four months, and then 10 or 11 months went through this foreclosure process. So they've been a year and a half in this property without making a payment living. Um, They're probably not paying attention to your sheriff's confirmation hearing, how you're getting your loan. They're they're just living large, right? Right. So as a courtesy, you walk up and say, hey, by the way, here's the information I own this property. Get out. You're trespassing. And if they don't move, you're going to have to go back to court. You're not going to, you can't physically remove them and then assault them and pull them out of their house. You're going to have to go to court and get a writ of assistance in which the judge will tell the people, look, you've got to get out. And if you're not out by a such and such date, the sheriff will attend your move out party with movers that have been hired. And they're probably not going to pack your vases as gingerly as you would if you would just move voluntarily. So, yeah, I, I would assume you had to go through that process. Um, I've, I've assisted another person that I helped uh, buy a home at foreclosure. And what happened was um, they weren't very cooperative. Um, the buyer did get a writ of assistance from the judge. The deputy went out and was very friendly and said, listen, here's the writ. We're going to be here next week at your house, and we are going to physically remove you from the house. We're bringing a moving truck. We're going to pack your stuff up. We're going to empty the house. We're taking it to Milwaukee. Here's how much it's going to cost you to get your stuff back. And that did did it. There, were, there was after that, they were like, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it. And they literally started moving out that night and actually it worked out pretty good. But I've never seen a writ of assistance executed. I imagine they happen all the time. I don't know. Have you ever seen a writ of assistance yeah. executed? You have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably not a real uh, fun my situation. Wife was in, my wife used to work in the, uh, still does, but for a different firm, she was in the uh, legal side of representing lenders in the foreclosure process. So this was a common thing. They had a couple of moving companies that they would uh, use locally to um, 
connect with the sheriff and move the stuff out and put it in big storage facilities in Milwaukee. And yeah, like you said, you want your stuff, come get it, bring a big jack or move it out for yourself. A lot of people just abandon the homes anyways. Right. So right. Um, there's a lot of cleanup to do, but I mean, in the, in the common uh, foreclosure that you've described, typically the people are moved out. They've seen the writing on the wall. They can't make the payment. It's not going to be a disaster, but you never know what you're going to get. All right, so next uh, scenario, I've rekeyed the house. I've got a locksmith out there. I own the house now. I get in the house. I'm looking at my new house. I'm pretty excited. I get to the basement, and there are there's four feet of water in the basement, and the basement walls are all bowed. Who who pays for that? Like who who do I sue? Uh, you, uh, what you can do. I do? How do I get, how do I get my money back? Well, again, you remember. You must be getting a really good deal if you're hot to trot on buying foreclosure properties, considering you haven't seen the inside of the house. The water could have been there for a year. You have no idea. The walls could be caving in. You have no idea. So I assume, Tom, that since you're buying a foreclosure at a share of sale, that your deal is so good that you've got so much extra money to rebuild this basement. And that's on you. Okay. So Sarcasm. I, can't, I can't get my money back. That's a real scenario. No, the, the, the walls were fine. but from I, who? Yeah, I, I did. We did go into a house and the, the basement was absolutely filled with water. And we were just like, oh, I hope this goes OK. But it turned out OK. I was I was making up the part about the walls being bowed because that could be a deal killer if you have to replace three basement walls. All right. So what uh, what scenario did we not? We talked about an occupied house. We talked about a vacant house. We talked about a sheriff's deed. We talked about Liz Pendens. We talked about how in Wisconsin homeowners really do get a lot of opportunities to redeem and, um, you know, make up with the bank and keep the house. And I've seen, like I said, I've seen a lot of those properties that go into foreclosure, go out of foreclosure later on. So it's definitely not a done deal that once it shows up in that docket that it's going to stay there forever. I've seen a lot of them cancel, basically. Um, can you think of another scenario out there? Or what, what, what does somebody, you know, I can't imagine this podcast is going to be um, – a great tip for somebody in foreclosure, although it could be because we told them that it's you got a lot of chances to get out. But for the buyers that want to buy a house in foreclosure, what other you know tips and tricks do they need to be aware of I, when buying a house? I mean, we've only really focused on waiting until the very end where the sheriff sale was over and you were the bidder and everything got wiped clean. What we didn't talk about is that 10 to 12 month period while they're in foreclosure mm, yeah. of buying it from the homeowner. Um, so that's, that's, that's certainly a strategy. If the person's just not going to be able to afford, they're going to get thrown out. Maybe you can strike a deal with the homeowner while they're still there. There's also, so those are, that's a good strategy. Sometimes the strategy is like, look, the title is such a mess. It's so loaded with judgments and liens and taxes that, that we need it to go through all the foreclosure to cleanse itself and then buy it versus, or, you, you know, if it's so, undervalued, meaning all of the debt on the property is more than what the fair sale price is, then you're talking about short sales, which could be a whole nother topic for another that podcast. Is, but yeah, we'll do but it. That, we those will. are, those a, are trickier, but very tricky, very lengthy. There's absolutely no uniformity to a short sale, which for the listener really quick is when you buy a house from a homeowner for a price that is less than the homeowner owes the bank. And the bank cooperates. The bank says, yeah, we're owed 250 but go ahead and sell that house for 200 and we'll approve the sale and we'll um, wipe out, well, 
typically they'll wipe out the, the remaining balance. Those were, man, from the years 2007 to 2012, you pretty much yep. had to be a short sale expert to stay in this business. We got all the certifications. I think we got three of them, um, which is kind of funny because these certifications were being invented on the fly here, right? We were under, everyone was underwater and like, all right, that's somebody, somebody learned how to teach a short sale course. So we were all taking them and getting pretty good at them and working with the workout departments. And, uh, but like you said, that's a, that's probably a one hour podcast to explain to listeners. how Yeah. To house on I mean, sale. I don't see those coming. I don't see those don't coming back anytime soon since the equity everyone has, I mean, in their homes and the values of homes have gone up so fast and, and homes are, you know, uh, worth a lot, I guess is the easy way to say it. So, you know, buying it in the middle of a foreclosure or something like that before it actually goes to the auctions one step. Tom talked about, we just talked about for quite a while now, buying it at the sheriff's auction. And he hinted at the very beginning, the other way to buy a foreclosure is no one bids at the sheriff's auction except the lender. And now the lender owns it. They're going to hire somebody like Tom to list the property for sale. And you're buying it directly. Instead of from a homeowner, you're buying it from a lender. Um, So those are... The three typical ways, uh, again, this one was mostly uh, uh, revolved around buying it at the courthouse steps, if you will, in the auction process. But, um, uh, you, you know, you get one kick at it at the beginning. If the person's in hot water, you don't get it from them. You get it from the sheriff's auction. If you're outbid by the bank, you can always get it again from the bank. So you've got a couple opportunities, uh, and the savvier people will figure out which opportunity is the best one. And just keep in mind that the banks don't want to own real estate. They're in the right. business of lending money and say, keeping deposits, not owning a single family home in your neighborhood. So they're going to want to be aggressive to try to not be the bidder, not be the owner. Uh, they don't want to lose any more money than they've already lost. So if you can be cordial and fair and honest with the lender and negotiating a, a purchase of a property and foreclosure, I think um, you have a good shot at it. So that's one question I didn't specifically ask you, but you hit on it a little bit, which would be, and keep in mind, Craig and I are not attorneys. Um, I think we mentioned that. But what rights does a bank have to go into the property prior to foreclosure? You know, what rights do they have? I believe they have what's called like an asset protection team. And what can they or can't they do with that property prior to foreclosure? Yeah, in your in, in your think back to the happy day when you bought the house and you signed that bank mortgage. Right. So the mortgage documents so I'll give the bank permission to protect their assets. So if you're if you're, you know, keeping the windows open in the winter, you're not turning on the heat and you've just abandoned the place, they have the right to go in and protect their asset and prepare it to to sell. So um, they're not going to just let the thing well, they're they're going to hope it doesn't just fall into complete disrepair. Uh, over the time of this foreclosure process. So if they get wind through inspectors who are, you know, go troll the neighborhood and take, take a peek at all their assets that this one is just, no one's there. Windows are open and it's January. They're probably going to go in and uh, change the locks and protect it and winterize it. And just, uh, just make sure that their asset hasn't been deteriorated any more than it already is. So, but you know, if they don't have the evidence for that, they're not just going to walk in in the middle of your, uh, you know, watching a Packer game and say, hey, I'm the bank, I'm going to troll around the house. I think they need to have sufficient evidence and some permission to get that done. But, um, you know, in foreclosure situations, people typically don't take care of the house uh, if they know they're, it's not theirs anymore and they're going to get tossed out. They, they, they're probably not maintaining it as best as they would if, uh, uh, if it was theirs forever. Yeah, that's been my experience too, is that banks, if they do have some sort of evidence that their asset is, 
deteriorating, they'll send in an asset protection team to rekey the place, secure it once they've you know determined that there absolutely is nobody there. Um, usually they'll keep the grass cut a little bit because if you don't cut the grass, the city does it and puts it on your tax bill anyways, and it gets real expensive. So I have not seen banks ever overstep. Like Craig said, banks do not want to own homes. So uh, it's the last thing they want is to go to foreclosure. And that's been that's been a consistent message that I have seen from banks since I started this business, that they're in the business of loaning money on homes, not owning homes. They do not like to own homes. They want them gone as soon as possible. They're better at loaning money and taking deposits and running a bank. They're not property managers. They don't really want to be property managers. So yeah, good point. All right, folks. I think we've covered a lot of good topics on uh, foreclosure. Um, by all means, if you have any additional questions about buying a home at foreclosure, reach out to me, uh, Tom Didier, at 414-881-3290. If you do need to reach out to a Knightberry title office, you can find them all over the state of Wisconsin, um, technically in multiple states. I believe Craig is calling in from Texas right now where he's doing a little title work. But uh, Knightberry title could certainly help you with pretty Can you cover every single county in Wisconsin now? Yes. All right. Well, there's your answer. How many counties do we have in Wisconsin? That's the next question. 72. We, we we've got offices and we've got 50 offices in Wisconsin. We cover all 72 counties easily. Very nice. I, I probably should know there's 72 counties in Wisconsin, but I, I guess I do now. All right, Craig, thank you very much for your time and effort. You've been super informative. As always, folks, always remember to use a local lender. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.